near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 402, January 2nd, 2023, the NDE of Charlotte Thomason. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official podcast and source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, NDERF. I'm your host, John Messer. This item is the 11th of the 19th episodes that Chaz produced that were originally used to get people to subscribe and help support the podcast on Patreon. As mentioned previously, I'm releasing all of these one at a time, so we've still got another eight to go. You can still support us via Patreon, either with a one-time donation or an ongoing contribution. Just visit NDE Podcast on Patreon, and your help is appreciated. Since these episodes are going to be available to everybody, remember you can also get a copy of Chaz's book by subscribing to us on Patreon. Just click the links. And now, the NDE of Charlotte Thomason. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, Patreon edition, episode number 11. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share, I'm going to share with you uh, the audio from a video that came out last week, well, last week from now, which would be uh, uh, March 4th. and uh, it is on the YouTube channel by Mike Lacona, who is a uh, associate professor of theology at Houston Baptist University. But um, what he's sharing here is he he talks to his students every uh, year and during his class and so forth, and and asks them, "Have any of you had miraculous experiences?" and you know, that you would be willing to share. And, uh, you know, he usually, he says that usually out of 15 students, he'll have one or two um, say that something has happened to them. And this one is one of his students that he had named uh, Charlotte Thomason. And so here is Charlotte telling her experience. And this is, again, from the YouTube channel by Mike Lacona. My name is Charlotte Thomason. I'm 65 years old. Uh, I live in a small town just south of Houston. 
I have a master's degree in social work from the University of Texas at Austin, and I'm currently enrolled in the Master of Apologetics program at Houston Baptist University. I'm going to be talking about an event that happened when I was 11 years old. When I was 11, I was actually declared dead by EMS, and then seconds later I came back to life. I want to talk about and tell the story of what happened between the time that I was declared dead and when I came back. And it's actually a story of uh, seeing Jesus and what my reaction was to that. Now, like I said, this happened when I was 11. And at that age, I became pregnant by my father uh, as a result of sexual abuse that had started at a very young age. And on the night that the baby was born, I actually died, uh, and uh, I don't remember everything that happened, but what I do remember is I remember seeing seeing the, my baby, and she had black hair, and uh, I heard her cry, and then I heard a really loud scream, and then everything went silent, and I... I couldn't breathe and I and, and everything just started spinning and I just I I, I just almost I, I could feel myself not being able to breathe and then there was just this dark 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 emptiness that just surrounded me and finally I just closed my eyes and when I did that this incredible soothing peace just surrounded me and I, I really wanted to just stay there. And, and I didn't want to open my eyes, but finally I did. And when I did, I was in this amazing place. There was, I was in a, in a field and there was grass all around. There was, uh, the grass was silver and white. And, there was this breeze that was blowing through it and it, it was really like making music. Uh, the, the breeze was actually making music. And I, uh, then I realized I was actually standing on a path, a white path. And uh, I, I was, the, the wind and the breeze was created almost a melody. It was just so soothing and so comfortable and peaceful. And really, for the first time in my life, I felt safe. And I was very, I was so happy. And I saw in the distance, there was this really big door. And it was white, and it was glistening. And, and I, part of me wanted to walk towards that door. But I just felt so peaceful and so safe that I decided, now I'm just going to stay here and just enjoy this. So I, I closed my eyes, and I was just really enjoying that. And then I heard a voice, and the voice said, open your eyes, Charlotte. And I uh, didn't really want to, but I did. And when I did, I saw a man walking towards me, and he was holding a baby. And at first, I didn't really recognize who he was, but as he got closer, I recognized it was Jesus. And I realized that he was probably, the baby he was holding was probably my little girl. And I, 
I walked towards him and I reached out because I wanted to hold my baby. And I, he, his reply was, no, it's not your time. You can't, you have to go back. <laughs> I was so angry. I was so mad at him. And I was, I could not understand that. And I asked him, I said, why? Why do I, why do I have to go back? Because they'll just, my parents will keep abusing me. Nothing will change. And why can't I stay? And he was, at this point, he was walking towards the door and he, he said, because you have things that you still have to do. You're, you will see her again. And in the meantime, she's going to be safe with me. But you, you need to go back because there's things that you need to do. And he was walking towards that door and, and I was so angry. So I could not understand why he would send me back. And then he, then the door opened and I could see just this beautiful radiance and there was singing and laughter and I wanted so badly to go through that door. And he just, he turned to me and he says, it's okay, Charlotte. She's safe with me. And at that point, he just walked through the door and closed the door. And at that moment, that darkness completely engulfed me. And the glorious place was gone. I heard someone shout, she's back, let's get her to the hospital. And my parents told me later that uh, I'd hemorrhaged after the EMS came, they couldn't get the bleeding to stop. And But then I came back. They were able to stop the bleeding enough to get me to the hospital. And, and so I lived, but my baby did not. She did not survive. And I really didn't tell anybody about what had happened. I was angry for a really long time that I had to come did not stop until I left home at age 18. And I really, after a while, I forgot about what happened. I think it was easier for me to forget it and to think that Jesus made me come back to that life. I also remembered a lot of times in my life that Christ showed up for me. Um, he, he would either send someone or he would definitely just be there at, at, at times when I was at my darkest places. And several times he saved my life. Several times when I wanted to take my own life, circumstances happened that were definitely his presence in my life. And I remembered those times and I remembered that it, those memories helped me through the darkest times of getting through the trauma of remembering everything that happened to me. And I really, really think that those experiences with Jesus are as much of a miracle as the actual events of coming back to life. 
you know, I was a little girl. I didn't want to come back to life. I didn't understand the miracle. And I really didn't want that miracle. But now at age 65, I realize that I did have things to do. And I understand the decision that he made. And I do know that at some point, I will see that baby again. Very interesting experience by Charlotte. I find it uh, fascinating how she's coming from this life of, of, I mean, a terrible life. I cannot imagine going through what she went through and the abuse that she suffered. And then she finds herself for the first time in her life in this safe place. You know, and first, first of all, she finds herself in the void, in this darkness that uh, that is just completely encompassing. And then she finds herself in this place of just absolute beauty. This meadow, beautiful field with the grass is silver and white. And there's this breeze that's blowing over her that's that's got like a melody about it. It's, it's a musical breeze. Just absolutely beautiful. And she's just basking in this. So she closes her eyes and just bask is, or basks in this feeling of safety and love and peace and joy. And then a voice tells her to open her eyes. And when she opens her eyes, there's Jesus walking toward her with her baby in his arms. And he tells her she's got to go back, which is a very painful and difficult thing for her to, to hear. And she's angry. She's ticked off, really, as she is being sent back through the void, back into her body. And it's interesting how she says that it's not till later, till years later, that she is able to understand and come to terms with why she was sent back. She really did have more to do. This idea of being here for a purpose, of being here for a reason, is real. And it is really important. It is absolutely mandatory that we complete what we came here to do. It's not that we can't go back before fulfilling our purpose. We can. You know, suicide proves that. And over and over, these people that attempt suicide and fail at it are told, that's not the answer. That's not the way to do it. But then when people die accidentally, I don't know if accidentally is the right term, because this experience is probably part of what is there to help them to reintegrate their, uh, you know, the, the joy and love of heaven into their life, especially when they're going through something as traumatic as the kinds of suffering that, uh, people experience either from her in her situation with abuse or with the physical, um, challenges of injury or disease, I mean, that takes its toll on a person. And honestly, I think the, you know, one of the things that many people who study near-death experiences find to be so difficult with studying and learning these things is the fact that not everybody gets to experience them. I mean, think about it. In your times of 
sorest trial, when you are just in the deepest depression or in the greatest physical pain or the greatest suffering socially, emotionally, with your family, whatever, things are just absolutely unbearable and you're and you feel like you could really use a taste of heaven, and then it doesn't come. That can almost feel like a betrayal for those who are aware of these things, which is part of the reason, I think, why it has to be fairly uncommon for people to have these experiences. I say uncommon. That happens very commonly, but as far as any individual statistically having an experience from their, you know, nearly dying experience or whatever it is, is statistically quite low. It's somewhere in the number of, or in the realm of 10% of people who have uh, a dying experience or something similar, uh, having a near-death experience from that. And then there are others who are not having a dying experience who have it also. I think that's probably even a smaller percent. I, I don't have a number for that, but the numbers are low for a number of reasons if you think about it and i'm i'm guessing here i'm speculating but you know here charlotte had this wonderful amazing experience and she's sent back she knows her baby's cared for and loved and so forth but she's ticked off at jesus for sending her back and she struggles throughout most of the rest of her life saying why was i not good enough to stay why was i not you know, allowed to stay. What what did I do wrong? Or what did, you know, how could he reject me like that? I mean, that these are very mortal, normal, mortal types of responses that may not be accurate or fair, but, I mean, whoever says that your feelings have to be accurate or fair, I mean, what you feel is what you feel. And though you can fight those feelings and sometimes learn to overcome them through you know, uh, lifestyle attitude changes, meditation, prayer, feeling, you know, uh, or uh, feeding certain emotions and not feeding others. There's things you can do to influence your feelings, but you can't necessarily always completely control the initial feelings that you have. And sometimes near-death experiences leave people feeling betrayed because they've been brought back to the most absolutely unconditionally loving, joyful experience that you can imagine beyond anything that you can imagine here. And then they're sent back into this hellish life for many of them. And that's hard. And it, and it's hard to say how to, uh, you know, how does one deal with that? The, you know, some of the best answers that I've heard if you've had these kind of experiences and are having a hard time integrating back, is to join groups. You know, IONS groups, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, has groups in in every state, certainly, um, as far as I know. Um, some have multiple uh, per state, depending on how big the groups are and so forth. But uh, the point is, is that uh, those of you who don't have those experiences don't feel like you have been betrayed because you haven't had those experiences. I mean, if you're feeling as rough about life as many people feel when they're 
wanting these kinds of experiences, just think how difficult it would be to have that experience and have to come back. And yet, like we talked about with Charlotte, it is so important that you stay for as long as your mission takes. And it is not for you to know when that mission is over. I have never known anybody to be told your mission is over. I've never heard of anybody saying that. They, some have said, you'll be welcome to come back when your mission's over, or that they are promised that they will come back as soon as their mission is complete. But I've never heard of anyone say, being told, your mission is complete. I have heard people given the choice to come back, but that's not to say that their mission was necessarily complete. It could be that they were given that option in order to make them feel like they had a choice in the matter, that they were going to be sent back anyway. You know, that we were, they were going to be try to be persuaded and try to be encouraged, and then if they didn't accept, well, we just have to send them back anyway. I think that probably happens sometimes, based on some of the things that I've heard. Some people are saying, nope, I am not going back under any circumstances. They say, well, it's your choice, but you might want to know this and this and this. Nope, I am not going, boom, and they're back in the body. <laughs> So, you know, I don't know if they actually have a choice or not. Maybe they do. Maybe we always have a choice in the matter and that it's some part of us that is not allowed to remember that uh, that convinces us to choose to come back. I don't know. I can't say. But either way, you know, we're here for a reason. Those who have these experiences are a great blessing to those of us who don't have these experiences because we can learn and look forward to these experiences for all of us someday. And yet, it's okay that we go through this life and not experience it. Either way, God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you absolutely, fully, compassionately with all of his heart. With And that's a big heart <laughs> that we're talking about. So anyway, thank you all for listening. And thanks to all of you so much for your patronage and for your support.